This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra. What's true in history? Two recent history books are shaking the United States to its political foundations. The truth has a way of doing that. Republicans are in such a fury that they're banning books on a scale not seen since Nazi book burnings. The more they ban the books, by the way, the higher they go on the bestseller lists, and that is as it should be. My enthusiastic recommendation may not carry the weight of Republican Senator Ted Cruz's raving condemnation, but I add it just the same. Two important books. One by Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz is called An Indigenous People's History of the United States. It's published by Beacon Press in Boston in 2014. The other was developed, not written, but developed by Nicole Hannah Jones, and it's called The 1619 Project, published by the New York Times in 2019. These are history books, but history is often misrepresented, isn't it? This is a quote that is often attributed to Winston Churchill. Quote, history is always written by the winners. When two cultures clash, the loser is obliterated, and the winner writes the history books, books which glorify their own cause and disparage the conquered foe, end quote. So said Winston Churchill. Two books, one of them, An Indigenous People's History of the United States, recounts the same history that we've always studied, but it adds a framework that makes sense of it all. And here's the framework. Europeans came to an inhabited continent and took it over. Anybody who opposed them was enslaved, killed, or otherwise subjugated. Now, if you were being very, very kind, and if you were being kind of abstract, you could say that this process involved a superior economic system that was displacing an inferior economic system. But if you were being truthful instead of being kind, you'd have to call it what it was, plain genocide. The other book, The 1619 Project, simply recounts the history of slavery in North America. It's a collection of facts, essays, and a little bit of poetry by various authors. It kind of paints a picture rather than telling a single narrative. But instead of treating slavery as incidental to American history, it shows how fundamental and critical it really was. For example, you may not know this, the $1860 value of American slaves, in other words, if you took the price of a slave and added it all up with the price of the other slaves, that value was greater than all other capital investments in the nation. All the railroads, all the factories, whatever you had added together was not as much dollar value as black people in the South. Furthermore, the legal structure of the United States did not evolve the way we like to think a bunch of high-minded founding fathers with great ideas, but it evolved as a series of compromises to placate the enslavers. That's the explanation 
for why we ended up with a very undemocratic Senate and the even more undemocratic Electoral College. Some people may like to think that the enormous crimes of genocide and slavery occurred only in the past and that they are over now. But these two books go on up to today and show that the repression was and is an ingrained part of American life. Every time that people of color began to recover in history, whites used every excuse to rob them again. Here's an example from close to my home in Sherman, Texas in 1930. The Texas State Historical Society has an account. It's a lynching of a young black man who was accused of having raped an unnamed white woman. While Texas Rangers stood aside, a Sherman mob burned the courthouse to the ground just to kill that young man. And to show that the accused man was not really their target, they burned down the rest of the black-owned businesses in Sherman. This is from the Texas State Historical Society. Quote, More than 5,000 people filled the courthouse yard and lined an adjacent street. The militia had left. The lynched man's body was dragged behind a car to the front of a drugstore in the black business section where it was hanged from a tree. The store was broken into and the furnishings were used to fuel a fire under the hanging corpse. The mob also burned down the drugstore and other businesses in the area and prevented firemen from saving the burning buildings. By daybreak of May 10, most of the town's black businesses, as well as one residence, lay in ashes. Among the businesses burnt were the offices of a dentist, a doctor, and a civil rights lawyer, William J. Durham. I'm saving William J. Durham for another podcast because I really want to talk about him. In all of American history, the only serious attempt to allow freed slaves to get one foot on the first rung of the economic ladder came from General Sherman during the Civil War. As you know, African-American people freed themselves and started following General Sherman's army, and they got to be quite a few of them. Sherman took over vast tracts of plantation land and allotted it, 40 acres at a time, to the families who had freed themselves and were following his army. But President Andrew Johnson, as soon as Lincoln was assassinated, Johnson ordered all that land to be taken away and restored to the Confederate traders. Native Americans only received land in a backhanded way. When they would take away a whole bunch of land from them, they would give them a little bit. When their great lands in the East were stolen, for example, they were given Oklahoma. Oh, thousands of them died trying to get there. When Oklahoma was taken away, individual families received parcels that one way or another, they soon lost. The Osage tribe, for example, once had all of Kansas and great swaths of the middle part of the United States, but then they were forced into a tiny, rocky little reservation in Oklahoma. There are a few examples of wealthy individuals, African American or Native American. Under freakish circumstances, one whole tribe was once wealthy, the Osage 
found oil under their reservation and were for a few years in the 1920s extremely wealthy. But the government appointed white people to manage their money for them. I'm presently reading another book called Killers of the Flower Moon that tells how wealthy members of the tribe were systematically murdered. We're not just talking about the past. Take a look at how things are today. You can get this from Google. African-American households today have about a dollar for every $10 owned by whites. The average Native American household has eight cents of wealth for every dollar of wealth the average white American household has. As of 2017, 22% of Native Americans were living in poverty compared with 8% of white Americans. The great value of studying the truth in history is that it explains the problems we have today in America and in most of the world for that matter. Black and brown people continue to suffer as they did in the past and descendants of Europeans continue to profit. Read the books. Understanding problems helps point to solutions. This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra.